Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company. From seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The clocks are moving forward. We get some more light and hopefully some less gloom. The headlines are making us crazy. Consumer confidence plunges and a recap of our client webinar update this week. All this and much more on episode number 757 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, finally, the clocks have moved. All seems right, right? I mean, we got more sun. We get a little bit longer day. So it seems, it seems like the one thing in this world that is right in a place that is so upside down and backwards right now. I mean, it's, as you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Well, good day, my wonderful listeners. I'm Andrew Horowitz, president and founder of Horowitz & Company, the host of the Discipline Investor podcast since 2007, going on 757 episodes, very strong, and many more to come. You know, you probably know this, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway. This was one of the original podcasts in finance that was created back in the day. I wrote a book called The Disciplined Investor, Essential Strategies for Success, which, by the way, is still available on Audible, of course. And what's interesting to note about that is my publisher said to me, hey, Andrew, why don't you think about starting a podcast to promote the book? And I said, what the hell is a podcast? And that's all that was. With the help of Apple and some of the people that headed up the Apple iTunes area of podcasts and what was going on back then, which was a really scrappy deal with RSS feeds that were connected very loosely and you had to set things up a certain way. And the metadata that was used, all this fun stuff that was used back then, we figured out, put it together and started what is now a very popular show. And I've got to thank you for being there, many of you, since the beginning. And this spans all the way back to 2007, the OG of financial podcasting, the longest running financial podcast out there is the Discipline Investor Podcast, which I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of. And thank you so much for being there along the way to make it a possibility and keep it going. But right now we have to talk about some things that aren't so rosy, don't we? Or a little bit, I would call it a reality check. We talked about this last week and about the, the idea of timelines and time frames and what is your time horizon and are you looking at one day, one minute, one week, one year and making sure that you're properly situated and aligned because if you're not, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and right now be really miserable because if you're investing for a short time as we talked about and you're not really having a long-term mindset in what's going on right now, into the future, it is going to be choppy and you're going to be very frustrated. We talked about that all on the last show. Go over to either disciplinedinvestor.com, check it out, episode 756, or of course, any of your favorite podcast repositories and streaming services like Spotify or Amazon Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, etc. 
So, uh, how was your week? Hopefully uh, decent. Your month, okay. But I got to tell you, if the University of Michigan report that came out recently is any gauge of what you're feeling and what your present situation, where your outward thoughts are, your concerns about inflation, things really aren't so rosy. In fact, we saw a pretty sharp drop in the confidence reading since the end of the year. A drop from the 100 levels, give or take a few, depending on whether we're looking at the current situation, past expectations, future inflation. But we'll call it in the hundreds on average, 105 or so, down to like the 60 and 70 range right now. And that's that's a really big move for a confidence reading. And much of that happened towards the end of the year when the reality struck that there was persistent inflation and that the Fed policy pivot, that they said they were going to be very hawkish and raise rates and really start strapping down the economy, fighting this another invisible enemy. We got all these invisible enemies. We have the pandemic, which is an invisible enemy. We have inflation, which is an invisible enemy to our money. And we have to fight this. And they're going to be very aggressive and hawkish, and they're going to reduce down their overall bond purchasing and they're going to increase rates. That's all what we heard back towards the end of the year last year, and that was like, oh, wait a second. I thought this was a Fed that was really easy. I thought we were going to go through life not having a problem with the economic cycle. I had a thought that the Fed said that the economic cycle was dead, the peak to trough, and all the things that we thought were the case and there were the real ways of business functioning, whereas we go through expansion and contraction periods. I thought that was over, that we were just going to be in happy days or here again forever. What's going on? Well, what's going on is that we are seeing a significant amount of inflation that is being inflicted upon us due to many of the policies that were put in place to really get us out of any of the financial ruin that could have been during the pandemic, and that went on much too long, which is now seen. And on top of that, and add to that, the hyperinflation on commodities that started this year due to a lot of different issues that collided together and then ended with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, driving up wheat prices and corn prices, oil prices and natural gas prices, and halting nickel because uh, Russia is one of the bigger suppliers of nickel that is used in a variety of different electronics and batteries in the manufacturing process. Drove it up in the 200% range in one day, and the nickel and CME said, oh, it was CME, it was the uh, London exchange. Said, oh, hold on. That's not good. We got people that are short that now owe $2 billion on the short margin calls that just came out with that kind of move. I mean, a, a commodity move or even a futures move of any sort, 2%, 3%, 5% is enormous leverage on the overall money that's behind it. A 100% move is absurd. 200% in one night no one can protect, and that's where we're seeing bubbles bursting or initially created, then bursting. 
like instant creation of a bubble out of nothing and then a burst right after. So it's kind of like a, I guess, a, a flash bubble. <laughs> it's like a flash bubble. Doom. And it bursts. And with all the damage that's being inflicted upon not only the markets, and some areas are better than others, and some portfolios are doing well compared to others. I mean, if you have all of the go-go stocks of the 2020-2021, you're down 50, 60, 70% easily. If you have the energy stocks, you're doing much better. If, if you have utilities, if you have the value side, the financials, if you are into a point um, looking at some alternatives, if you have gold, silver, and the metals, pretty good. Again, point, point to game, set, match to diversification. You know, it's funny. People are pretty comfortable with the idea that they make money along the way and they may not make as much money or they're making as much money as they expected to make and they're doing okay. But I got to tell you, and, and you, you tell me if you think I'm wrong about this. It's another thing entirely losing money. I was listening to a, a podcast this week and a discussion about how we all think, that, yeah, you know what? During the good times, you, you, you take a, a, a poll or a survey or a risk management quiz and you think about how, oh, yeah, things are pretty good. I could take a 15 or 20% loss on my portfolio. I, I, it's okay. We'll recover long-term. I'm not worried about it. Until that actually happens and all of a sudden, you're like, wait, I'm down 8%. What the hell is going on? What do I do? Should I sell everything? I know during those good times when I said that there was a 15% or 20% drawdown, what I would do is reinvest and put more money to work. However, here I am. I'm not even a 20%. I'm a 10%. And I am freaked out, right? You know what I'm talking about. What, what is going on? I don't know if I could do this anymore. I, I don't think I can handle this. So just when we want to make sure that you are doing the right thing, you're in full-on panic mode. And especially at a time like now where we really don't know what the outcomes are. Oh, oh, wait a minute. You're wondering and you're thinking, hey, Horowitz, you got some of these answers. How is this all supposed to turn out? Hey, I got some news for you. What we have here is a genuine conundrum. Seriously. We're asking a lot of questions right now. We're doing our due diligence and our work to see, hey, what kind of exposure do we have, even the most insignificant, in certain areas that may be written down to nothing? For example, for some of our portfolios, we have emerging market bonds and non-U.S. or foreign-related bonds that are hedged. Some are hedged. Some are unhedged. Okay. How much of that is in areas that not only are affected directly right now, but could see a knock-on effect? Now, the good news is, it's relatively insignificant. When I say that, it's it's less than 1% for the most part. But that's because when we chose what we're going to invest in for our clients, well, we didn't want to be the go-go. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to see contagion and problems. And then what you have to do is, well, how much are you invested in that area entirely? 
And what's the worst case scenario that could really happen? We're going to write down that full investment to zero. Well, if you have a 3% position, does it really, is that the worst thing in the world that ever happened? Well, the probability is if you have a diversified approach to that mutual fund or that ETF that has a uh, small exposure to those areas, but most of it's in areas that really aren't going to be impacted, then you don't have to really worry about it because what are we talking about? Two, 3% of the overall loss of that part that's only a 2 to 3% position in the portfolio? You're talking about 30, 40 basis points. That's not incredibly dramatic by any means. You know, what you need to look for is where you have those, those wipeouts. That's what you should be concentrating on is finding where the holes are in your portfolio during times like these and plugging them up. Like I said, we're doing our research here because some of the information takes a little time to really go through. But so far, there's really not a lot of problem directly. And then you have to question what is the add-on, knock-on, or contagion effect that may be spreading across even to, you never know, U.S. bonds. We're already seeing that, that corporate bonds on the junk side and credit spreads are widening out. That makes a lot of sense due to the fact that the Fed is not buying as much as they were buying before. There's no support for the bond market. And then you have a consumer confidence, confidence that gets hit as dramatically as it got hit. On top of the fact that when you look back on all this, you have to also assume that there is some problems with the fact that interest rates are going up. And as interest rates go up, you have, of course the price of the bond goes down. So there's a lot of things that are going against the situation here for bonds in certain areas of the market. But again, to get back to this of, okay, what is going to be the end factors of all of this? For example, what if you fill in the blank? What is it? I don't know. What if, what if, uh, um, what, what if sanctions are lifted? What does that look like? When are they going to be lifted? What happens to oil and commodity prices? And how does that impact XYZ or this portfolio, this stock or this bond or me directly in terms of the amount I have to spend each and every week on my car? Whether I have an electric car or not is a different story. And of course, we have to ask how bad does this get and what else can happen? Because right now, there was not uh, a great deal of expectation that this whole war would go on as long as it's even going on now. It was supposed to be a slam dunk. And just Friday, we saw a tightening of financial conditions and the noose around Russia. Let's kind of back up to what happened on Friday. On Friday, it was pretty fascinating what happened during the day. This is very, very endemic of what happens during these kinds of conditions when you have a VIX that is above 30 and rumors flying around and people not knowing what to do because things are moving so quickly. It's not like we're seeing short, sweet, little moves up and down. They're violent. They're volatile. Rip your guts out. Rip your face off. Talked about that on a tweet last week. If you're not following me, you need to follow me on Twitter. Andrew Horowitz, one word, is the handle for Twitter. Make sure to get on there. I do put out a few things here and there. And, of course, 
the announcement of when the podcasts are available, uh, as well as a whole bunch of other things, are on that as well. That's my main mode of communication to you, aside from our weekly chit-chats here and our, 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 our fireside talks on the podcast. But let's get back to what happened on Friday. It was one of those days, Friday morning, about 6 a.m., I was getting up, doing my daily routine, and had some of the news on in the background, came around the corner, took a little glance about what was happening, and all of a sudden I saw, what is that? What happened? Hold on. Is that right? Dow's up 425 points. It was just down 50 on the futures two minutes ago. All night they've been lagging and rolling over, and all of a sudden they're ripping higher. What happened? And there you have it. A one-sentence comment supposedly being referenced as a comment directly from Vladimir Putin, something to the effect about a better talks and a better tone to talks that are going on with the Ukraine now. Futures rammed higher on one unconfirmed line that may or may not be true. Remember, and we got to really think through this, the news surrounding the last couple of days has been all about building up troops and readying the next leg of a campaign. So what was this, and why were the futures flying 400 points? We saw some kind of talk around the idea that maybe something was happening with a ceasefire temporarily earlier this week, Dow futures, and then Dow shot up 700 points, one of the best days since 2020 for markets overall, for the NASDAQ, et cetera. And then this, maybe there's something to this, but maybe not. Because right after that, there was a grind lower. While the Dow Jones Industrial Average fared a little bit better, Small caps, NASDAQ lagged hard and faded out throughout most of the day. Does it really seem to you that Putin is ready to chat over a nice cup of hot cocoa and apologize? I'm no military expert, even though it seems that everybody that was a, a AAD and almost a doctor on Twitter and Facebook, and they knew everything about virology and epidemiology, and they understood all about what was going on in the pandemic, what was good for you. They knew it. They learned it. They studied it. They became a two-year expert. Now, those same people are military analysts and understand Russian military theory like none else. Right? I mean, these people are out of their minds. Uh, Listen, I don't know if you're one of them that starts to pontificate about what your theories are and all that. It's okay. Just end all of your comments with, in my opinion. In my opinion. Start with, in my opinion. And I'll respect it more. But this whole nonsense that the same people are now military experts is really, it's funny to me. I've listened to some military experts, really, some, 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 professors that are students and professors of Russian military, Russian Russian history, Russian politics. Uh, (laughs) and, And they are very interesting to listen to and have a great amount of theory. I'm not even going to try to talk about it because that's not my game. 
I'll talk to you about stocks and valuations. I'll talk to you about diversification and funds. I'll talk to you about your investments, your financial plan, your financial future, all of that, all of that all day long. I'll give you opinion on what I think. Like I said, I don't think that Putin seems to be ready to sit down and drink and sip some hot cocoa and a hot toddy with you or anyone. Very clear that all of his misdirection is starting to wear. But on Friday, we also had a lot of things go on with regard to what the United States was going to do. Revoking Russia's most favored nation status, denying borrowing privileges at multilateral financial institutions, banning exports of luxury goods to Russia, banning imports of goods from several signature sectors of Russia's economy, um, seafood, uh, caviar, and liquor, uh, vodka. New guidance from the Department of Treasury to thwart sanctions invasion, including through virtual currency, creating the authority to ban new investment in any sector, and the list goes on. These are very serious situations. And again, what are we trying to do? Suffocate Russia, and unfortunately, directing it at Putin, the oligarchs, and any other influence, uh, political influencer, or high-profile political party member of Russia. But yet what is really happening, the sad thing that is happening here is that first of all, once again, we're going all against Russians in the United States with, uh, you know, our, our usual bigotry, which they may have nothing to do with anything that's going on here. The second thing is that we're really hurting the Russian people that had problems to begin with. Concerns are growing around the world about what is going to happen with their food supply. Their stock market has been closed. Their their currency has been eviscerated, obliterated, and absolutely just worthless now. And they can't do business with the world. And Russians that are here, people that are maybe United States citizens that came from Russia, that did a lot of business with Russia, are having a lot of trouble. The whole thing is a mess. Next is Belarus. And who knows where we go from there. The bottom line to all of this is we're in a really bad predicament right now with no end in sight. And you know, when we think about that light at the end of the tunnel, once again, instead of it being sunshine and glory on the other end, it looks like another freight train is coming right directly towards us. Now, again, this is short term. Oftentimes the political instability around the world is short-lived, very difficult, very gut-wrenching, very tough on markets until the recovery. The problem right now is we have a multitude of things that are colliding all at the same time. Now, I think that we're going to get an update from the Fed next week. And I talked about this a little bit in a note that I sent out to clients and commentary that I had this week on a webinar, which I want to talk about. Uh, that is a part of, of the discussion today is uh, two items, actually. One is going to be the Black Swan. And yes, this is a Black Swan event. Last one we really had was the financial crisis back in 2008-9. This is another one. The pandemic, yes, to a degree also. I'll even call it just about a Black Swan. But the difference was that there was plenty of time and expectation that was built into that. And then I want to go over the the highlights of the webinar we held this week for clients. 
So those are two things that I really want to get to. Let's start with the black swan discussion. What is a black swan anyway? What what is this? Have you heard this? Have you you've heard this before, right? We had a black swan moment or a black swan uh, event, and from the dictionary, it's an unpredictable event that is beyond what is normally expected of a situation, and has potentially severe consequences. That sounds pretty right, but what was the black swan event? Was it the lead-up to it where we were seeing commodity prices increase? No. Was it the inflationary issue? No. Was it the potential war? No. As I see it, the Black Swan event was actually post-invasion where the entire world ganged up in a coordinated effort well, not the entire world, but a big chunk of the free world, ganged up, and yes, I use the word ganged up on Russia to cut them off financially. Let me just go a little bit further on this definition for a second. Black swan events are usually characterized by their extreme rarity, severe impact, and the widespread insistence that they were obvious in hindsight. Now, we're not in hindsight yet. However, we have a little more time to go with that. Extremely rare. Are wars or invasions extremely rare? No. No. Is inflation extremely rare? No. Is the economic cycle changes and the Fed adjusting economic and uh, fiscal policy or monetary policy, excuse me, uh, rare? No. No. What is rare is when you have a situation where you have a superpower and a global trusted partner, quote-unquote, or most favored nation, quote-unquote, that is shut down. And the reverberations of that are severe as we're seeing what's happening with crude prices and natural gas prices and all the other things that we've talked about. The rarity in this circumstance that classifies it as a black swan event is not the very basic things that were about the war. It's the impact and the after effects And the knock-on where we saw not only uh, uh, countries say, we're shutting you down, we're closing down SWIFT, we're doing this, we're not taking your goods, we're not allowing your your imports, we're not doing exports. It, it, It was that individuals are not doing business with or companies, corporations not doing business with. Pulling out where McDonald's is closing 850 stores, where Goldman Sachs says they're pulling out, J.P. Morgan's pulling out, and Coca-Cola, and Pepsi, and the list goes on and on. That is the rare, extremely rare event that is going on, and we don't know, once again, just like we didn't know when we shut down the the world due to the pandemic, what was going to happen in that Swanee event. This is very similar, because the Black Swan event is evolving As we speak, the continuation of the lockdowns and the isolation, as I talked about, selective isolationism is where we are these days where there is either one of two things happening, where we have a situation where, as we see what's going on with Russia, we're selectively isolating Russia, outside influence, saying, you know what, you're cut off, versus us saying, 
you know, we no longer want to be reliant on the oil or the goods of your country or your region. We are going to isolate ourselves from that, create a wall around it so that we can't get hurt. So whether or not it is the energy independence that we all have wanted and talked about for many years, allowing us to be freed from the shackles of OPEC and OPEC plus, and in this case, Russia to a degree, or even events that create a higher price that is not related to something that goes on within our confines. We want a protection from that. We want to make sure that we do not feel the impacts from others' decisions. I mean, I think that's a reasonable thing. But the rare black swan event that is going on, I don't think that markets would have been that pissed off if Russia invaded Ukraine, the war went on for a few weeks, and that was it over, and we just had to deal with the consequences of that. It would be terrible. I'm not advocating for this. I'm just telling you what I think. How would it have played out in markets? There would a little dip. It would be like, okay, doesn't affect us here. We're moving on. But when you have McDonald's temporarily shutting down 850 stores and what does that mean to their bottom line or any of these other organizations or countries and the fact that you go where I filled up my car last week for $3.39 a gallon and one week later I filled it up for exactly $1 more, that is a big move. And we know that oil and Components that are involved in the petroleum and the distillates are not just what we see at the gas pump. There are tanning lotion, there's plastic bottles, there's other chemicals, a lot of things that we really build off of petroleum. And that is a problem. Because what happens there is that now all of a sudden, this inflation monster that we've been talking about right now has become much more persistent and not able to be dealt with by the Fed in an effective or meaningful way. Because a 25 or a 50 basis point move by the Fed is going to do absolutely nothing to tame inflation. There is absolutely no way that a interest rate move is going to do anything if Russia cuts off the fuel in its entirety to Europe, which will then have a greater push on overall price of natural gas and crude. Unless we think that somehow there's a magic potion in what the Fed is going to do by taking up interest rates. We already know it takes three to six months at least to start to feel the impact of higher interest rates in the economy. While the market is forward-looking and maybe pricing that in right now, truth of the matter is that, again, if it was normal, I keep on using air quotes all day, I feel. If it is normal inflation, then perhaps the Fed could impact that by what they already did, which is talk up the fact that they're going to try to slow down the economy. The economy gets ahead of it and starts to slow down a little bit. Inflation may tick up in initially because people are like, ah, let me get this price before it goes up. And then it starts to subside a bit. But in these unprecedented times, we have inflation and war and 
market corrections, it makes everything a lot harder to deal with. So yes, we have a black swan event that is evolving right now. A big, fat, black swan that is just growing. This unpredictable event beyond what is normally expected. The situation has potentially severe consequences. We don't know a lot of the pieces of that particular sentence if we were to turn it into an equation. Unpredictable event. How much more unpredictable is it going to get? Beyond what is normally expected of a situation. How much more beyond a war and a temporary situation for political instability is this going to be? And the potentially severe consequences. How do we calculate and put down on paper what is the consequences? Because this could all end very quickly as well. But what has happened is the knock-on effects where wheat is up over 50% in six trading sessions. Some of the things we talked about in the client webinar this week, and yes, it was exclusive to our clients, as we wanted to really talk about the allocations and where they were and what was happening, and it was received really well. But we also talked about a few things like stagflation, which is high inflation and maybe high employment, or if not high employment, which I don't see right now, maybe a slowdown in economic activity. Because we are seeing some wage gains that aren't really keeping up and by no means keeping up with the rate of the current inflation at 7.9%, which is absurd. But these levels of inflation being as problematic as they are against the backdrop of some wage gain is very similar to what happens through, through a stagflation period or recession inflation is another name for it. So we talked about that in depth. And we talked about selective isolationism. We talked about how the impact of the metamorphosis that we've gone through from globalism, that was really the hot thing over the last 20-something years, that morphed itself into nationalism over the last couple, three years, five years, that now all of a sudden is turning into this isolationism, which is either imposed or self-imposed to set up the security wall around us to ensure that there is a lack of potential problems that can come from the outside. Because we set this all up to benefit us because we didn't want to buy a shirt that was $22 for a cotton T-shirt. We'd much rather send it to, 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 to China, to Vietnam, to Malaysia, to Indonesia, to some areas, to Croatia, to be sewn together, manufactured, so I could buy it for $4 or $5. So these were all big issues that we're facing in the past and now we're having the change in how the dynamic of how we're going to deal with them. In the past, during globalism, inflation, what we would do is move the product, manufacturing or mining or distribution from one area that was experiencing a high cost to another that was lower. The big move that we saw from China over the years or from Japan to China to Vietnam and Indonesia, that is not as easily done 
when you start exhausting all the potential places that have reasonable pricing. As economies come up and grow, and we go from an economy that is very low cost, low standard of living, and then give them the opportunity to build and grow and have houses and all the various things that everybody wants, it's no longer cheap to do business there. And you have to move on. Eventually, you run out of places to go to. And what's happening now is the call to bring it on home. That's what we want. Bring it on home. So I think the selective isolationism is a big issue right now. The black swan that is opening up. And there's a lot of other things that we can kind of really focus in on that we need to be aware of. And this conversation is really a random walk down what is on my mind. Because we spent so much time over the last few weeks talking about specific items of diversification, time horizon, risk management, risk tolerance, the flower garden, all the different things that go into making up portfolio, valuations, where to be. This is a hodgepodge. And by the way, just to set the stage for a second, let me take a second and talk about what's happening next week. We have Doc Smith coming next week, and we have Michael Koval coming the week after. He is a trend following. Turtle Trader, the book of the Turtle Trader. Doc Smith is next week. He's going to talk about he's a bit of a futurist and a very smart thinker looking about at consequential items that are happening and how to deal with them. So two great guests coming over the next few weeks. But here's a few other things that I want to just ramble on for with a minute if you give me that privilege of doing so. The, the item about Bitcoin as a gold replacement, as an inflation hedge, debunked. Gold has been doing really well. Bitcoin, not so much. Ethereum, eh, not so much. We have a question about how Europe is going to fare with all this. Recession is likely, but how is that going to impact them and what is the ECB and EU going to do overall to continue to stabilize what is going on there? How are we going to redirect? One of the things you've noticed from the pandemic was how quickly companies can adjust to crisis situations. Now, this is a little bit different. I'll give you that. But we still have the opportunity for the great companies around the world to come to the rescue in a way or to come to the uh, this, the, the table with ideas that will help. The real question I think we really have to ponder right now, and I'm going to leave you with this, is how are we going to repair all this damage? I think cybersecurity is an area to be watching. I think that's something that's going to be very much in vogue. I think we have to watch for the selective isolationism. Again, full circle from globalism. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to live in a world that is temporarily going to have pretty high prices and how is that going to impact everyone's spending habits. Now, I realize that many of the talking heads and the experts on these Looney Tunes shows that you see on TV are talking about how, you know, when oil prices go up, it doesn't really affect the consumer, but oil prices go down, it's really good for the consumer. Okay, let's put that out of our discussion. Higher oil prices affect consumers and consumer spending habits. 
especially if you go up $20 per fill once per week for a, or, or twice or three times per week for fill, $60, $70 a month, that adds up for a lot of people, and that's a problem. How are we going to deal with travel? How are we going to, how is Europe going to deal with their security measures? You would think defense stocks are going to be good for a while. You would think that the oil and the crude companies, energy companies, will hold on and do decent for a while. In fact, interestingly enough, I shared this last week on this client webinar discussion. Our TDI managed growth strategy for the first time in as long as I can remember recently flipped in through our screening and filtering process to find companies that meet certain criteria that has been standardized for a long time. Energy companies, a ton of them. That's really interesting. Financial and energy companies, clearly utilities, have a really hard time getting through our growth screens. And for the first time in a while, as, as long as I can remember, and that goes back a while, we have energy in there. Huh? How interesting is that? I like it. I don't want to like it, but I like it. I don't want to like it because I know that's potentially a problem, but that's where you get the benefit of utilizing certain measures, statistics, and processes to build portfolios. All right, so my ramble is, I think, done. I think I covered all of the areas that I wanted to check and review and talk about. And next time, when we have a client webinar, hopefully you'll be there since it's only for clients and you can go and find out more about how to become a client, how to work with us. I would love to work with you. We have three different strategies, I would call it, for three different types of investing and for different levels of money, starting at 10000 with the Investology, 50000 for the TDI Managed Growth Strategy, which is an aggressive strategy that can be long, can be short. Right now, we're still bending towards the long side as many of the economic conditions have held up, generally speaking, and we've also seen a significant amount of opportunity um, with earnings, and uh, it's pretty amazing, actually, how many names have come through our system. That may all be changing, but right now, that's what that is. And then, of course, the global allocations, a fully diversified, globally diversified portfolio structure, 500,000 and above. If you're getting close to that, call me. We'll figure it out. But that's what have we have. I'd love to take a look at your portfolio, give you some advice in these very difficult times. Just go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Click on the Ask Andrew to contact us. You know how to find us. Let's see what we could do together to make sure that your financial security is locked down for the future. For now, in the bad times, and for then, in the good times. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again next week with a great guest. Until then, have a good week. Be safe. I'll see you on the other side. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information 
should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.